Anyone else struggling with a little remnants of a cold or, yeah, anybody else with me? All right. Sorry. (coughs) We are uh, continuing our series in Matthew. In chapter 5, we're walking through the Beatitudes. So if you've been with us, uh, we are up to uh, Matthew 5, verse 8. But let's read the whole passage again this morning. If you have your Bibles... Matthew chapter 5, we'll read verses 1 through 12 together, and then pray and jump right in. Matthew 5, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Everybody said... Amen. So this morning we're going to focus in on Matthew chapter 5 verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What what an incredible promise. Amen. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, these Beatitudes as we've been walking through them are really, uh, as we've talked about week after week, characteristics, all of which should be growing in the heart and in the life of a Christian. What we see is Jesus articulating those who are blessed, blessed are, the favor of God is upon, happy are, happy not in a temporal way, but happy in a deep-rooted joy of life, uh, favor of God kind of blessed life, are those who are growing and exhibiting in these character traits that are, really the fruit of the life of a Christian, right? If the tree is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in his favor and salvation as you rely on Christ, as we sung about this morning, all our guilty stains and our sins forgiven by the work and the righteousness of Christ, rooted in his work, that tree will produce fruit, as we see in James and in Galatians, that that tree will produce a fruit that is an evidence of the reality that the work of Christ is what that life is rooted in. Amen? And so Jesus begins to articulate these characteristics in the life of a Christian. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. This might date me a little bit. 
And those of you who are older than me in the room, it probably dates me in that I saw the reruns, okay? But when I have looked through pure in heart and just kind of read an understanding of this uh, in a little bit of a deeper way and looked at some of the definitions and, and the, the way that some commentaries are articulating this, um, oddly enough, one picture came to mind. Eddie Haskell. Anybody? My mother. Okay. <laughs> Those of you who are under 40, there was a TV show called Leave it to Beaver, all right? Uh, and it's, you know, go on YouTube and you can find it. Uh, but Leave it to Beaver had this character in it who was like the neighborly kid, Eddie Haskell. Um, I, I've actually cracked jokes with, with my son that he's got a buddy that reminds me of Eddie Haskell. Every time I see this kid, he's like, hey, Mr. Kelly, how you doing? And I'm just looking behind the hey, Mr. Kelly, and thinking there's something else going on in this kid's mind. You know what I mean? There's something mischievous. And that was Eddie Haskell, right? He would come to the door, hey, Mrs. Cleaver, is the beef home? You know, so good to see you. How's Mr. Cleaver doing? And he was this, on the outside, super polite, super over the top. Oh, everything's wonderful, Mrs. Cleaver. How you doing? Where's the beef, you know? And really what you knew about Eddie Haskell is that he was planning some sort of mischievous, terrible thing that he was going to do. He was really the bad kid, but on the outside just looked great, right? Anybody? YouTube it, okay? I only have some older folks in the crowd nodding at me. <clears throat> I just pictured Eddie Haskell. Kelvin says, says it this way in his commentary. Happy are they who are uh, of a pure heart. We might be apt to think... That what is here stated by Christ is in accordance with the judgment of all. Purity of heart is universally acknowledged to be the mother of all virtues. And yet there is hardly one person in a hundred who does not put craftiness in the place of the greatest virtue. Hence those persons are commonly accounted happy whose ingenuity is exercised in the successful practice of deceit who gain dexterous advantages by indirect means over those whom they have interactions. Christ does not at all agree with carnal reason. When he pronounces those to be happy who take no delight in cunning, but converse sincerely with men and express nothing by word or look which they do not feel in their heart, Simply people are ridiculed for want of caution and for not looking sharply enough to themselves. But Christ directs them to higher views and bids them consider that. If they have not to deceive the world, they will enjoy the sight of God in heaven. What Calvin's getting at here is there's an element to this word purity that really reflects a sincerity. There's an element to this word purity that really drives deep down at what is the inner workings of a man that drives a man or a woman. And are we finding value in our ability to be cunning and deceitful and to get ahead by strategy? Or are we as Christians relying on Christ and then 
pursuing and, and watching as, as God works in us a sincerity and a purity of heart that really produces a genuineness in our lives, in our interactions with people. Jesus said it this way. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 23, verses 25 to 26. If not, I'm going to read it for you. But we see Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. And then in verse 27, he goes on to call them whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but you're full of dead bones on the inside. You're like, you're like a tomb. Everything inside of you is dead, but you walk around all whitewashed and looking good on the outside. And what we see here is that Jesus is articulating something that we see throughout Scripture, and it's this. This is really the bottom line. God cares about our hearts. Amen? God's not interested in good manners necessarily, He's not interested in whitewashed tombs. He's not interested in, in high society and politeness. What he's interested in is your heart, and your heart will produce clean hands, but the reality is the purity of your heart. That's what God's after. Amen? Who are you at your essence? What is the essence of who we are? Boy, can I tell you, this has been a criticism of church to some degree, is it not? Maybe not always fair, but there is certainly an idea or an aspect of folks that look to religious people, particularly in our culture today, and think hypocrites. They think just Cheshire cat smile, vests, sweater vests and ties, and hey, howdy, how you doing? Shaking hands. God bless you. We love you. And there's this idea of this fake kind of like, let's just all smile and say everything's great. And, and the reality is, to the degree that that's true, I think some people are in error. But the reality is, Jesus gets after that as well when he yells at the Pharisees. And right here in Matthew chapter 5, God's after your heart. Who are you for real? I, I love our prayer of confession There's really a moment here where there's an authenticity that we can be real, folks. In this place, we can confess our sins. And the scriptures talk about confessing sins one to another. How many times have you sat with another believer in your life and laid your life open and bare and, and confessed your greatest, darkest weaknesses? Can we do that? Man. Do we have a basis in the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ to open our lives to each other and bear our weaknesses? And really get down into who we are, the essence of our hearts, confess our sins to each other, pray for each other, encourage each other, be honest with each other with someone in a way that they're not going to misuse your weakness but encourage you? Jesus really says here in Matthew chapter 5, it articulates throughout the scriptures, we, we see this theme that God is, is really after our hearts. He's after the essence of who we are. God's aim is not well-mannered, fake people. God's aim is straight at our hearts. 
straight at our hearts. You know, it's really articulated one of my favorite stories in Samuel chapter 16. And you see uh, Samuel uh, mourning really the sin of Saul, the king who had just failed. And God says, listen, I'm sending you to the house of Jesse to anoint the new king. Get over it. Basically, God says, get over it. Get over Saul. And you're going to Jesse's house to anoint a new king. And in Samuel 16, we see uh, the first son of Jesse come out who's tall in stature. And Samuel's thinking, this has got to be, got to be the dude right here. Good looking, tall guy on the outside. He looks perfect. This is a great king. Just like Saul, who was taller than everybody else. You know, I, I kind of have an affinity for, for God's heart here, for not just tall people. But, <clears throat> of course, Samuel's looking at the outside, and, and God speaks to Samuel, and he says, but the Lord said to Samuel, in verse 7, do not look at his appearance on the height or the height of his stature, for I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. There was something going on in the heart of this little, ruddy, uh, strange-looking kid out watching sheep that Jesse didn't even think to get to bring for Samuel to review. Look at all these sons. Oh, yeah, I guess I got one more. He's out there watching sheep. There was something going on in that dude's heart that God saw that nobody else saw on the outside. God looks at the heart. What's going on in the recesses of our hearts? Really, when we hear the word heart here, it's, it's describing not just this, uh, the physical muscle that is pumping blood through your body, but it's describing, it's descriptive in the scriptures of the inner man. We see in John 14.1 that, that let not your heart be troubled. The heart is really a, a, um, an instrument of emotion. We see that our emotions are there. We see that the heart in the scriptures is connected to our intellect. You know, uh, why, re- why reason these things in your heart, the scriptures say. The heart is really a descriptive of our will. That Daniel pur- uh, purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself. Solomon said in, in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. There's really descriptors in the scriptures in reference to the heart that, that are the depth of the inner, the inner man, your emotions, your will, your, uh, your, the issues of life flow from it. We see in the scriptures that the heart is deceptive and wicked. Who can know it? There, there's, there's trickery in regards to our heart, and it's prone to be sinful. It describes really in essence our inner man and our motivations and our will and our emotions in the scriptures. God looks at our heart, we see. Blessed are the pure in heart. How do we do this? Where does this come from? This is really not a, 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 a claim from Jesus or a command from Jesus that, that purposes us to some sort of moralistic, flesh-based effort. And just, man, if I could just purify my heart. But what we see is this is really rooted in the gospel. Even in Proverbs 4.23 where, where Solomon says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. This idea of how do I keep my heart? How do I purify my heart? If you read the prior tra- chapter, it's all rooted in one thing. 
It's rooted in the trusting of the Lord. We see it in Psalm 1. Delighting in the law of the Lord is really the picture of the roots of the tree down into the river of life that cause the leaves not to wither. It's, it's this down deep underneath thing that, that is rooting your life in the law of the Lord, really encapsulating the, the scriptures that point to and are culminated in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, we just sang about it. There is a fountain filled with blood flowing from Emmanuel's veins. And I plunge beneath that flood, and it washes all my guilty stains. We have an alien righteousness in our trust of the Lord Jesus Christ that now is producing in us an ability to pursue a purity of heart because of our justification and standing before God, only in our trust of Christ. Amen? This is a reality for the Christian whose life is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have thrown your life onto that altar and said, Jesus, I am relying on you for your righteousness because, listen, when I try to purify my heart, I am wicked. I am prone to sin. I am prone to failure. But you have given me a standing that I could have never gained on my own. And what we see from that passage in Jeremiah that Mike read is now he's writing the law of God in our hearts. And the fruit of a tree that's trusting in the Lord and in the gospel of Jesus Christ will begin to produce these beatitudes, specifically this morning, a purity of heart. Isn't that good news? That's good news. As we examine ourselves walking through these beatitudes, this is a very, I think, very practical application to this passage. As the gospel has taken root in my life, as my affections for Christ are becoming more and more primary and I'm keeping him in the proper place of my life, this year, as we head into January, am I growing in my purity of heart? Is this something that is producing a fruit or a character trait in me as I rely more and more on the gospel and on Jesus? I think that's an interesting question to ask. I really think the key to this passage, folks, is, is keeping Jesus in his proper place in our lives. And really it's, it's in essence, an opposite of idolatry. As we trust in him and worship him alone, the fruit of it should be these character traits that we see. John Piper says it this way. What you are at the invisible root matters as much to God as what you are at the visible branch. What you are at your invisible root where nobody sees is really what produces what people do see in the visible branch. And I think that what we understand here from Matthew is that folks can fake it and try to make the branches look good for a time. But ultimately that tree is going to, what it's rooted in is going to bear that kind of fruit. And those who are rooted in reliance and trusting in God and the gospel of Jesus Christ should be growing in and having a branch that reflects a purity of heart. 
and what's going on deep down underneath of who you are is more important or as, of, as important as what's reflected above the ground in reality and what people see. You get what we're talking about here? There, there is an essence to this that, that God is, is, is saying, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are those who are genuinely reflecting a character trait of God in, in integrity. This word really depicts an integrity to who you are. And the way that that happens is who you are underneath. Where you're rooted and what you're trusting in will begin to produce this. Man, it's really hard to preach an application to this because I don't want to just say, really try hard to have a pure heart. That's not the answer. The application to this is, get Jesus on the throne of your life, worship him alone, keep him as God, and don't let idols take his place. And you will begin to see in your life produced an integrity and a genuineness and a purity that reflects the character of God simply because of who you're rooted in. And so really the application is a self-evaluation. If that's not happening in my life to an increasing degree, I need to ask this question, what am I rooted in? What am I rooted in? That's a big question. Where are the foundation blocks of my life? What is the deep down underneath that nobody sees beyond the facade, beyond the Eddie Haskell, beyond the fake masks that we all put on every day for other people, deep down where no one's looking and only me and God know? What's my life rooted in? What's my inner man all about? We see this idea of purity in this passage. And the word uh, really is where we get the word cathartic or catharsis. It's a cleaning out. It's a, it's a cleansing of the inner man. There's an, unde- there's, a, there's an idea from this word that's really an undefiled or an unmixed, it's straight, undiluted, consistent, homogenous, plain, pure, unadulterated. There's this, it's, it's cleaned out and it's not mixed up. It's a, there's a purity to it. There's a singleness of heart. James talks about the double-minded man, a divided heart. We really see an idea where folks have two masters and their heart is divided. In James 4.4, 4, you can't be friends with the world and friends with God, the double-minded man. And what we see in a purity of heart is an undiluted singleness of heart. I am all about trusting the Lord and Him. I'm not divided in my masters. I'm not someone who has two lovers that I'm divided between. My love, my affections, my heart is the Lord's in a single-minded way with integrity and with purity. That's really what this is getting at. It's undiluted, a pureness, a singleness of heart. When God cleanses the sinner, he does more than wash away sins. He puts within him a new heart. Amen? When God cleanses us, 
when we respond to Christ and our life uh, becomes focused in a single-minded way on him and our affections are drawn to him, when he saves us, he cleanses our sins and he puts in us a new heart. It's an undivided heart. It's not an idolatrous heart where things are competing for our affections above him. Jeremiah 32, 38 and 39. They will be my people and I will be their God. And I will give them one purpose, to worship me forever for their own good and for the good of their descendants. Be my people, I'll be their God. They will have one purpose, one purpose, single-minded, to worship him. Amen? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What an incredible promise, right? They shall see God. So we see this this believer who's been given a new heart, who's growing in purity, who is is growing in sincerity and integrity and in single-mindedness, and their affections are being drawn to God in an undiluted way. We see this future promise, and we also see a promise here that we shall see God. Look at Psalm 24, verses 1 through 6. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall descend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false. And does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord. And the righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Who seek the face of God. Of Jacob. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord. And no doubt Jesus is referencing Psalm 24. Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Doesn't lift up his soul to what is false. Or fake, doesn't swear deceitfully. There's an integrity. He'll receive a blessing from the Lord. Clean hands, pure heart. Those who seek him. How do we keep, how do we do this? We see in James 4, 8, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I quoted James 4, 4 being a friend of the world and of, and of Jesus. There's a, there's a purity of heart that we're talking about here that's full allegiance to God. There's an inner disposition that's not fake, that has integrity, that's single-minded, that's genuine, that receives this future promise. And folks, again, really the application for us is to recognize where this comes from. The application for us is to, is to put at the center of our lives the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ in full view 
and let the sparks of that begin to fly off and the application, the implications of the reality of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us begin to affect and draw and move our hearts as God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, gives us a new heart. You say, man, I do things I don't want to do. I recognize in my life um, impurities, and I see uh, times of disingenuousness and lack of integrity and, and even sinful impurity and thoughts that I shouldn't have. And, and folks, I want to I just articulate that if you're recognizing impurity in your life and difficulty in your life, and it's causing conviction in your heart, that's evidence of the activity of God in your life. If God wasn't working in your heart and getting a hold of your heart, you wouldn't care. And what I, what I want to say to you this morning is respond to the Spirit of God in your heart as God is moving and giving you a new heart and helping purify your heart and walking you in sanctification towards something that's already a reality positionally in your justification. You, you should respond to the Spirit of God. And in those moments where you're struggling, uh, focus in on who he is and what he's done and let the Spirit of God convict you and change you and turn you as you continue in faith and repentance. Amen? That's why we confess our sins every week. Faith and repentance. We, we come to a place of, of repentance and reliance on Jesus Christ in recognition of our sin and in recognition of our need of him to continue to move us and turn us and repent, turn away in response to the glory of God and who he is. And folks, the more you worship God, the more you trust God, the more your affections are drawn to God and you see his glory, the more he will begin to change your perspective and you will begin to walk in purity, amen? We see it in Job, where in Job 42, he says, I'd only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said. I sit in dust and ashes and show my repentance. That's Job's reaction to his view of God when he sees him. I'd only heard about you before. Now I see you. I take back everything I said before. And I, I lay in dust and ashes, ashes in repentance. There is a reality about seeing God that really transforms our perspective, amen? All of a sudden, all those things that seem so big and so important get a lot smaller in view of God and who he really is. And so let that be our prayer this morning as a church. God, let us worship you and see you more clearly, that the things of this world would get more dim and that the brightness of who you are would become more clear for us. That we would no longer be satisfied with things that are, that are tainted and seem bright to us because of our perspective, but the more we look to you, we see how tainted they really are and how bright and wonderful you really are. Change our perspective, amen? I got to tell you, just as an application point, that happens for me in my, in my times with the Lord. That happens for me when, when I read the word, when I seek him in prayer, when I worship him. And it really happens for me 
in this place. As we gather together as the people of God and we worship together. Can't tell you how many times I've been standing or sitting or standing over here. And we as a congregation are worshiping together and focusing in on who God is and singing about his attributes. And this thought comes to my mind. Man, do I need this perspective shift in my life today. Man, do I need to be singing these words about who God is and hearing someone preach the word about who God is so that my affections are properly drawn to the right place and I begin to trust and worship who I really should be worshiping because sometimes that is so hard Monday through Friday with all the competing noise in our life. Asaph says it in, in the Psalm 75 or 6. I can't remember. I had this perspective about the ungodly thinking everything was so great for them until I came into the sanctuary of the Lord. Verse 17. And then I understood their end. Man, it seems like they're getting fat. It seems like everything is great for them. Have I kept myself pure in vain? That's his perspective. Until I came into the sanctuary of the Lord. And then my perspective shift. I saw God for who he was. I look at them and recognize that every step they take is like they're on a slippery rock. And it could be their last but not my steps, because God upholds me. How many of you need to hear that? How many of you need to get that perspective of trusting in the Lord and recognizing that things may be tough, you may be going through a hard time, it may seem like people who don't even know God or love God have a great easy life, and yours is so difficult. Folks, you need to get perspective. Get into the sanctuary of God and recognize that He has you. Amen? And He doesn't have them. There's an ability to recognize and have that singleness of mind and heart and integrity and the purity of your heart the more he comes into clear focus in our lives. So as Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. This is the habit of some. On the Lord's day, let's be here. Let's be here together worshiping. We see this future hope. We'll see God. Listen to Piper's quote here. But there will come a day when God himself will dwell among us. Listen to these words. His glory will no longer be inferred from lightning and mountains, in roaring seas and constellations of stars. Instead, our experience of him will be direct. His glory will be the very light in which we move. Revelations 21, 23. And the beauty of his holiness will be tasted directly like honey on the tongue. Christian, there will come a day when your experience of the glory of God will be direct. You're not going to infer it from seeing a beautiful lightning storm or a wonderful mountain range. You're not going to infer it from looking into the stars and seeing the greatness of God. You will have a direct sight of him. 
His light will be the light by which you move and live. It'll be like physically tasting it. There is a future hope that you who are pure of heart because of what Christ has done will see God. Amen? Is that something to worship about this morning? That's the best. There's also another reality to this verse. Those who are impure, who have a pure heart, you're going to see what you love before that moment when you actually see God. Psalm 29, 3 through 10, take a look at it. You see Jesus, who he saw God's providence in the fall of a sparrow. He saw God's beauty and curiosity in the beauty of a lily. He saw the word of God in the farmer sowing a seed. He saw God through the eyes of of the heart of an active and growing thing in in someone's life, not just in a moment. Folks, we're going to see God. That is our future hope. But as you pursue Christ and as you trust in the Lord and as you have wonderful moments and as you struggle in difficulties and in tragedy, as a Christian, you're going to see God here. God's activity in the lives of other believers, of your friends, of your family, God's activity in your life. You'll see God, amen? That's something that's active and growing. It's not something that happens just in a moment. And it's something we can pursue right now. Not as a moralistic, uh, you got to work for this, but as a response to the gospel and the glory of God in your life, we get to pursue in our sanctification, a purity, and a relationship with God that we see his activity in all things, even the difficult times. Amen? I love this quote by Churchill. To build, (coughs) excuse me, to build may have to be the slow and laborious task of years. To destroy can be the thoughtless act of a single day. And really there's an aspect here where we can slowly build in our relationship with the Lord and allowing him to purify our hearts. As he's put in us a new heart and as it grows in integrity in singleness of heart and of purity, let's work together in response to the gospel, not to get his love, but because of his love. Let's work together to grow in our affections towards him and allow him to purify our hearts as he comes into greater focus and we worship him more with the understanding of this real promise and great hope that we'll see him directly someday because of Jesus. Amen? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen? Good news. Let's pray. God, you really articulate to us what matters to you this morning in your word. Make it matter to us. Make it matter to us more than looking good. Make it matter to us more than other things that have taken your place in our lives. Help us to put you in the place that you deserve to be. Our hearts, our inner being, the essence of who we are. That's what matters to you. 
And we recognize in your word that you give us this capability in Christ. That your blood washes us clean. That you give us a new heart. And God, we, we need to respond to your spirit this morning and walk in that. Walk in the integrity, the genuineness, the single-heartedness of a man or a woman who worships you and you alone. That you're our God and we're your people. And our sole purpose together is to worship you. Not just with songs, but with our lives. Help us to do that together as a church this morning. Understanding this incredible promise. We shall see you face to face. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.